Welcome to the 11th episode of the Koi Wolf Digital Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, John Henshaw. In this episode, I'm sharing excerpts from my interview with Fabric CEO, Fasil Masood, and co-founder, Ryan Bartley. Fabric is a headless commerce platform designed to modernize and replace complicated and expensive legacy commerce solutions. Fabric also provides virtually unlimited commerce capabilities for retail, direct-to-consumer, and B2B companies. In the first excerpt, I asked Fabric co-founder Ryan Bartley to describe how Fabric went from an idea to a startup with $9.5 million in seed funding. There's there's a lot of people, maybe not a lot of people, but there's you know plenty of people out there that that have a lot of experience around something. They they recognize a problem and it bugs them and it's a constant sort of like itch, you know, that they want to, they want to go solve. Um, but how do you go from that to literally the startup? In other words, uh, you know, how did you essentially find your co-founders and say, we're going to do this and this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, did you, did you have to pitch, you know, I mean, you, you know, what, what did that look like? How did, how did you do that's a huge step to take, I think. Yeah, agree. I mean, um, it, for me, it was actually a very interesting journey. Um, I worked in large companies and we're building these advanced tools, right? And so the benefit of that is we did a lot of R&D, um, you know, at eBay and Staples and those other scaled businesses and have lots of scar tissue of what worked and what didn't. So literally, we were the customer of the product that I'm building. Um, and I think that just gives us a very quick advantage as like people look at what we built in, over the last couple of years, um, they're shocked at the scope that we have. They're shocked at how advanced we are. And, you know, most startups have a problem or identify a problem, but they go through this incubation phase that no one talks about. <laughs> no one ever shares in the news. It looks like they're overnight hits. Um, but, you know, typically there's a few to several years where a startup kind of wanders in the desert trying to figure out the right product market fit, the right customer set, the right everything, where I think because of our experience, we didn't have to go through that phase. Um, we spent a little bit of time up front um, when I started Fabric with a co-founder um, working on a couple of things. One is technical architecture. We knew that um, we wanted to start this business at a time when um, really technology and the cloud platforms had advanced to a certain level. And so we spent about six months really doing R&D on technology and making sure we make the right technology choices that will kind of last into the future. And then, of course, we spent a tremendous amount of time with customers, like our expected customers, just understanding and revalidating all the things that we needed. And I think that goes back to really Fassel's leadership, you know, coming all the way from um, Amazon of being super customer-centric and it's very simple, you know, um, if you focus on the customer and you identify insights around what they need or what they want, and then you build to that and you keep listening and you keep doing that. So that's what we've done at Fabric. Um, so, yeah, starting with a beachhead, you know, uh, me and a co-founder and uh, basically at a card table and then scaling it up very quickly over the past couple of years um, has really been a fun journey for me as an entrepreneur.
In the second excerpt, I asked Fabric CEO Fassel Masood to further explain why software-only, low-touch commerce platforms like Shopify Plus would struggle to make the jump from SMB to mid-market enterprise. They're, they're trying to do something from the tech world and something they've been able to automate easily for, say, small businesses and go into an area that is much more complex uh, in every aspect. And, and I think what I'm hearing is that that's going to be really difficult for them to succeed in doing that, especially because they don't have the you know 50 years of experience type of thing uh, that was mentioned mentioned earlier. Um, but but with that being said, I think that's I think that's pretty clear as far as like how you feel about that. But one of the things you know, Fassel, that I heard you talking about um, were we can do this, we can do that, we understand where you're coming from, but that does sound very service heavy to me. You know what I mean? As in um, it's not software. It's also going to take human beings who are going to solve these problems with you and that type of thing. Um, do you foresee, or are you already there uh, to some extent where the software will handle the type of things that you were describing? Yeah, I guess, um, first of all, when you enter the B2B landscape there, you can't avoid the service component. And if you do, you're going to lose. Um, you can provide platforms to these companies that are billions of dollars and you know run large external sales teams and internal sales teams, but have never really dabbled in running their own um, commerce online uh, with a team internally. Think about walking into a multi-billion dollar uh, B2B company that has one IT guy and everything outsourced to some international location and running on some old school stack with no real understanding of customer experience, how to sell online and standing up a store that's actually gonna generate in the future, probably 50% of their business. So um, we'd see this as a massive uh, gap in the market for who actually gets to sell to them. The advantage we have is we have a network of SIs that work with us, uh, systems integrators, that provide a lot of this outside of what we do. So um, it's really a hybrid approach right now where as we grow the company, completely divorcing ourselves from their day-to-day issues on how to manage the product is not valuable, right? If you look at AWS, how they got everybody on board, they had a whole pro-serve arm to do that. You only hear about AWS, the platform. You never hear about the professional services revenue because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, the, the solutions architecture part is actually very critical because you're walking into highly customized software that has technical debt for decades. You can't solve that by just providing a platform and saying, here's our platform. Thank you. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I actually learned that the hard way myself uh, several years ago. Um, I had a, a digital marketing app that agencies used. And we kind of early on, we, we were just, we were serving SMBs, but we kind of wanted that enterprise money. <laughs> and, and and so we we made a play for enterprise and boy, that was a wake up call <laughs> as far as the amount of effort and time and, and touch, you know, that, that was involved. Um, and you know, what I learned from it was it's really hard to do both. There, there was no reason why we couldn't have, um, shifted into just doing enterprise and been very successful at, the, at that. Um, but we tried to do both and, and it's funny because even, Going back to the Shopify 
sort of analogy, I guess, um, our approach was more Shopify-ish, you know, where we were doing SMB, self-serve, you know, that type of thing, um, and and achieving the, uh, the needs that our enterprise customers had was pretty much impossible um, without having human beings with experience who who knew how to solve very specific problems that they had. Yeah, and you're actually calling out Shopify's Achilles heel. For Shopify to turn this Titanic around in a, in a positive way, it's a huge ship that they're uh, coasting on with, with great revenues, and all of a sudden go from selling at the SMB level to enterprise, it's not a self-serve, quote unquote, there's no such thing. We will build it and they will come. That's complete BS. It doesn't work like that when it comes to B2B. It's going to, like your experience, it's going to require a choice. Are you mid-market enterprise or are you SMB? Because you can't be both. We have made a choice, a deliberate choice, that Shopify Plus is our on-ramp. We do not touch anybody below that. We don't want to. We have no desire to because that is not our wheelhouse. And by the time you're thinking headless, you need to be doing 10, 15 million. Otherwise, you're really better off on Shopify. And we're, you know, it's, it's a perfect platform for you. But if you're going to deal with large scale enterprises where Commerce Cloud and ATG and SAP live, there's no way you can avoid getting systems integrators, third parties involved in the human part of the equation. We believe product management is still a very uh, new concept. It's nascent in these legacy organizations that they don't really understand the difference between product and project. And it is important. It is our duty to make sure, and it would be highly irresponsible for us to think that here's our platform, go figure it out. Uh, those implementations will fail. So we believe that in the early years, it's going to be a critical sort of um, core competency for us to provide that similar to what AWS did and now GCP does too. And we don't believe that that's, a, that's non-accretive to our overall vision and ethos of what Fabric does. But longer term, as these companies mature, there's less need for that. And we become a more robust, hardened platform where they just come in and use the platform versus anything else. In this third and final excerpt from the interview, I asked Ryan to explain the advantages of using headless commerce. So with, with headless commerce, the um, sort of the promise of it is, uh, obviously you're doing it on, on a big scale, you know, enterprise scale. Uh, the promise of it is that you aren't limited in your channels per se. You aren't limited in the way that you can sell um, or, or sort of have a transaction. And I haven't spent much time with this. My, you know, my expertise and experience is mainly SEO and, and that kind of thing. I haven't done a whole lot in, in a, you know, big e-commerce. And so uh, I think a lot of my listeners are probably <laughs> in that realm too. And, and so I would love for you to just provide the people who are listening some examples of the really neat things you can do with, with headless commerce, you know, I mean, uh, from, from this idea around microservices and, and the different, you know, I, I think of ways where, Oh, I could take your API and uh, use Swift to build an iOS app for or whatever, you know, store. Like what, what are some things that are pretty neat that you can do? 
John, I would say there's a couple of angles to that. The first is um, uh, just, you know, taking uh, modular pieces of software and um, being able to recombine them in different ways. So if you're a company, I don't know, pick a like a game developer. Um, if you think of a game developer, they want to have like in-app purchases and micro purchases. Well, those are all concepts that uh, are commerce co concepts. You need a product, you need inventory, you need um, pricing, you need promotions, you need a cart, you need payments. And so um, if you take um, headless approach, uh, then you're just combining those APIs and you're building that experience in a unique way. Um, and so that's one way of thinking about headless is um, you can get the best of the capabilities and recombine them. Just very similar to like how I think of the big cloud platforms as well, where again, you're taking like compute and storage and networking and building something over the top of it. Uh, the second thing is um, really around uh, scaling to different channels as well. So today, you know, how does commerce happen? Uh, well, it happens in retail stores and there's a digital component to that. Uh, it's growing obviously this year with COVID as an accelerant um, uh, in e-commerce, what's known as e-commerce, where you go log onto a website and you make a purchase. Um, but the question is, where's that going? Like what's the endpoints where people shop and how do they shop? Those are going to change over time. And John, I don't know how they're going to change. Well, that was, that was going to be my, my next and last question, <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it's going to change and what it's going to look like, the form factors of shopping or procuring or discovering products. Um, but you know customer experience always changes. And so as you think about that, like, um, you know, we did some early work at Staples around voice reordering um, in an office because it's friction to go to a website to place in replenishable order. And I think you'll see, you know, the kind of rise of social shopping um, happen as well. And so those endpoints, you have to be able to plug in your kind of commerce capabilities to meet the customer um, wherever experience that they want to be at. So that's really what, you know, headless commerce is about is if you break it down into a set of services and APIs, then you can recombine it into whatever experience makes sense for that customer in that channel. You can listen to the full 49-minute interview with Fassel Masood and Ryan Bartley at coilwolf.pro slash fabric. Thanks for listening.